Hello, friends. This is not the Joe Rogan podcast. And we don't make $100 million a year, do we, Greg? No, we don't. No. Um, we're here to talk about Northern Pike tonight, which is something that I know very, very little about. So Good. I'm excited to learn, and I think a lot of other people are too. Um, we had a little mishap with our last one. So for those of you who voted Stripers next, uh, we did a great interview with... James Brown, main striper guide, and had a software issue, and it's uh, it's gone. So we're going to be redoing that one, which we think is probably going to be good anyway because we can fine tune some things. And um, so we're going to skip over stripers for now, and we're gonna we're gonna talk to you guys about Pike, which is kind of coming up, right? When, yeah, when absolutely coming out. up, coming up. On just want to be on the record, you were. <laughs> <laughs> You were consuming alcohol during the taping of that podcast. This seems to be a recurring theme. Well, there's no alcohol tonight. And the other thing is, I have nothing to even say tonight. So maybe tonight should be the night I have have a drink. So You're always keeping tabs on I'm me. I'm always keeping yeah, tabs. Worse I than was, my wife. I... Killing me. Uh, yeah, I don't know what happened, but Greg, Greg wants to blame it on the alcohol. I want to blame it on the software. Either way, we'll redo it and have a have a better yeah. one for you guys. For sure. So, for sure. Uh, ice out's coming soon. Kind of. Kind of. For sure. It's on its way. It's supposed to be rainy, 50s. Yeah. Screams ice out to me. Sweet. You know, screams ice out. So, Pike, before we get into it, I just want to say, if those of you who have never fished for Pike um, in Maine, they historically have a bad rap. Um, I am a supporter of Pike and where they are currently and how they're existing and, you know, the given conditions of main waters, Pike are not going anywhere. So Mm -hmm. rather than bitch and yell and scream about Pike and how invasive they are, that is incredibly detrimental to the success of future fisheries. I truly believe that. Um, if you've never fished for Pike... They're unbelievable. They're super aggressive. Yeah. They get m- massive. Yeah. You know, if you've never caught a 10-pound pike on a fly rod before, it, it's exhilarating and for sure. People, people pay big money to go to Canada and fish Huge for them. Huge money. Yeah. Minnesota, yeah. Canada, and we Wisconsin. Have and we have those fish here. Those fish here. 20-pound, yeah. 25-pound pike. Yep. They're not as common. They're pretty rare, but they're around. Like you can – catching a 10-pound pike – not that hard if you put, you know, a few days in on the water. Yep. You'll run into some that are that size. That's, just that's which cool. is yeah, it's awesome. You know, a thirty six inch fish, like yeah. on a fly that's not shy. They're not shy. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're not shy. So yeah, they're they're incredibly fun. Um and I'm hoping that more people gain an interest in it. Um because we have the potential to make some mega fisheries. Like mega mega pike fisheries and um we have the water to do it um but we'll get into management later um and why it's not happening right now well it's crazy they're like celebrated in canada in the midwest oh yeah and then here it's like they're nuisance yeah and problem that the reason they're a nuisance because when they were brought over here they were you know introduced sort of illegally and Um, they're destructive for sure. So anytime they're mixed with salmon, trout, 
they're destructive. Yeah. You know, they're going to put a hurting on the population. Sebago's got a ton of publicity. Sebago has, has a ton. A although they're, they're salmon. That lake is so big yeah. that it's not as big of an issue. But um, the smaller bodies of water. So, you know, the small tributaries of the Andro, the Androscoggin River, those things that lead to smaller ponds with, you know, maybe struggling brook trout populations, those populations are, are done. Yep. They're dead if, if um, pike get into there. So it's the smaller lakes and those sort of smaller trout populations that are really in trouble, yep. you know. Um, but that's, you know, that's that's what happens. That can happen with not just pike, but that, that can happen with any fish. That can happen with a bait fish introduction. That can happen it's with true. smelt introduction. Yep. That can happen with... I mean, and to talk about Sebago for a second, Sebago's had issues with controlling their smell populations. They brought in lake trout, right, right to do that, and now they have too much too, right, lake too, trout. Or you catch many. a lake trout on Sebago, and more often than not, it's underweight, you know? Yep. And so... Is that because the smell population's down? Yeah, the food. Yeah, there's just not enough yeah, food. There's too know? many lake trout. There's too many competing. fish trying to compete for food in that lake. Yep. So that's why, you know, I can't remember what the regulation is this year, but it's keep a lot under a certain size. I know? and I rarely actually see people posting or talking about catching pike in Sebago. Yeah, there's like there's a few coves in Sebago and they get big. Like they get big in there. Like over 10 pounds is yeah. not not a surprise out of there for sure. Um especially given the habitat, you know, the habitat the, the lake is so big. There's, you know, the bigger the lake, typically the bigger the fish can get and um Sounds. you know, with with pike um Sebago's a, a great place if you know where to go. There are better places, and I don't mind like name dropping certain places for pike because some places are really popular. Yep. And then other places, they're so big. Like the Androscoggin River is chock full of pike from yep. Turner, maybe even a little north of there, all the way down to, you know, past Durham. That's yep. down to Lisbon. 30 miles of river. I don't, you know, like, you right. know, there's, so. There's plenty of water there. Right. And I have caught pike in Turner and in Lisbon. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're literally, they're pretty much all the way down to the salt. Yeah. You know, as far as you can go to the salt. They're, they're there. So, but yeah. So I figure before we get into any management stuff, we'll just talk about how to catch them, what yep. setups to use, what flies to use, and kind of go through the seasons, I suppose. Yeah. So I always hear about people fishing for them in May mm-hmm. when the ice goes out. Yep. Why are people so hot to trot on pike fishing in May as opposed to other months? Oh, it's so cool because they're shallow. Like, they're shallow. Nice. So. Greg has a huge grin on his face. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> I mean, like, you. so you can go right after ice out. They spawn, basically, right after ice out. Okay. So... You'll know when you see a spawning fish. They spawn, they free cast their eggs, and they're basically sticky, and they stick to weeds um, in, like, less than a foot of water. Crazy. I mean, so you can go, if you know where to go, you can go and see, like, dozens and dozens and dozens of pike really close together. The females are usually large. Like, they're usually bigger than the males. So you'll see this one honking 15-pound female just sitting in four inches of water on top of weeds with like six males like huddled around her you know those fish i don't fish for they typically won't bite anyways yeah they the got female or the males both both they yeah. got other things on their mind those are like 
that's like pre-spawn, really, really close to basically spawn. I wouldn't even call it pre-spawn. I would just yeah. call it spawning. Do you think there's an ethical problem with fishing for them spawning? Yeah, yeah. I, I, like I, any other yeah, fish. any fish. I don't sure. fish for any fish that's spawning that I can visually see spawning. Because yeah. like, you know, I I just don't find it ethical. You're Taking advantage of an innate behavior, you know. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just walking in on during their time. There's no skill to it either. There's no skill to it. Um, So, right after that, though, so they exert a lot of energy spawning, and then right after that, um, they don't protect their eggs. It's just they just cast them, and now it's time to put on the feed bag. Yep. And usually when it's warm enough to like actually go out and fish and there's not going to be ice on your rod or whatever, you know, early May is like pike are starting to put the feed bag on. So you can get aggressive, aggressive strikes. And pike, people think pike are not people, but I guess some, some people think that pike are more like warm water fish, like a bass or something. Sure. I mean, because you find them in the same places sometimes. But they are not. I would say they're closer to brook trout in terms of what they want temporally than uh, than bass. So um, they really prefer that nice and cold, you know, 50s degree water. Yep. That's where they're like doing the best. And that's why when you look at the best populations of pike in the world, it's always in temperate regions. It's true. Canada, yep. Minnesota, northern Minnesota, yep. northern Wisconsin, even in Europe, the more northern Europe yep. states have really good pike populations. So like down south they're not quite as prevalent. Right, they're not as prevalent. Yep. And uh, and they don't get to massive sizes either. Um so you know, in the spring, great time to target because they're looking for easy meals. They just spawned they're really hungry, and the temperature is great for them. Yeah, so they're hanging in they're hanging, shallow water. They're still, still in the shallows, time. yeah. Sweet. And, you know, not not every single one of them is in the shallows. There's sure. still some deep. But a lot of them are finding little spots in shallows near where they spawn. So little vegetation patches or little sunken bushes. Usually the water is high yeah. because of the spring runoff. Sure. So that gives them an opportunity to go towards shore and kind of tuck in any weedy, marshy areas that might be, you know, still haven't fully grown in, but maybe are still dead from the previous year, or maybe shrubs that are now in the water that the, weren't. The bait fish are probably there because that's some of the first water to warm up, right? For sure. And so they like to be in warmer. Yes. Yeah, so bait fish sometimes. are there, um, and it's pike are not like smallmouth where they kind of cruise around and hop from spot to spot. Pike are really like largemouth where they just sit and wait. Yep. So they just sit. And if you're lucky enough to see a pike sitting in the weeds, it's basically motionless, just sitting in the weeds. And when something comes across its path, boom, it strikes. Ambush predator. Yeah. And so your best bet early spring is to basically go find a nice, weed line somewhere like an old weed line or maybe a a really fresh one that's just starting and just cast alongside it yep. cast alongside it retrieve um to kind of get like uh perpendicular to it yes yeah not casting into it you're yep. casting just stripping back just stripping back it. and spring is really good for them because you can fish the weedy areas without a weedless rig because yep. the weeds have not reached the top of the surface yet, mm. you know, so you can cast over the weeds even, because yep. they're not, they haven't reached the surface yet. So you can cast over them and just, you know, using slow sinking intermediate line or something. 
So your fly is only a couple inches below. Strip, 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 strip. They'll see it above their head and go after it. Yep. You know. So Um, you're not using floating line for them. Not in the spring. I usually use I use a clear um, sinking uh, line like. It's intermediate, but it's a slow sinking intermediate. So it, I think it sinks one to two uh, inches per second. Okay. Um, which, so, you know, if I want to get it down a couple feet, I just have to wait five seconds, six seconds for, right. um, before you'll I start be, stripping. The option. Yes. Yeah. But I like to use a, one of the slower sinking intermediate lines for the spring. Um, and I'm usually using a seven, eight or nine weight depending on what type of fly I'm going to use. Um, in the Andro River, I'll use a nine weight because I'm usually throwing bigger flies because um, there are typically bigger fish there. Um, but if I'm going to, say, Sabatis Lake, which is a really, it's like everybody knows probably the most heavily fished, one of the most, if not the most heavily fished lake in the state. It's got to be up there yeah. in terms of foot traffic. Yeah. Especially uh, ice fishing too, though. Oh, I mean, I, ice fishing. I don't. I can almost guarantee that it's the most heavily fished. I mean, it's just. Can uh, you keep out of there? Oh yeah, yeah. Is there a limit? Can, no limit. No nothing. You wow. Just, you keep whatever you want out of there. Wow. Um, I dated a girl back in the day, and her dad would go over there, and he was showing me one time, and then he came back, and he had like nine of them in a bucket. I uh, I, like, I wouldn't wow. eat anything out of that lake. He didn't want to eat them. I wouldn't need it. He but just kept them. Yeah, for no I don't reason. Know why. No reason. People yeah. do that all the time. <laughs> I was confused. People but... do that all the time. I've been like ice fishing back like when I was younger. I would do that too, because IFNW told me to. Yeah. Keep kill what you get out of Sabatis. Yeah. IFNW would tell me to do that, and so I'd be ice fishing, and you know I'd kill twenty pike because I don't know. I thought I was, I, don't know, I thought I was doing a, helping out. Helping out. Yeah, because yeah. you know it's said in the rule book. It actually used to say. And I don't know if it still does. It might. It actually used to say, "Kill what you catch out of Sabatis for pike." It used to say that. And so I'm gonna look that up while you're educating. Yeah. So you know, I used to think that was a. I don't know. I thought it was helping because I didn't know any better. Sure. And uh, how many people you you probably still believe that? Probably a lot. And right. uh, it's one of those things you don't like. You go to a place you don't look for changes. Right. Like you don't expect changes over time, so you just keep doing the same thing. Right. So. But anyway, so the spring, um, pike are gonna look for those. They're, they'll be close to spawning. So if you can, if you want to go out in April, yep, you can look for spawning pike. Go into weedy shallows, like really weedy shallows, and just look for the backs. Their backs will be sticking out. Their fins will be sticking out, or you'll see them um, cruising around in the shallows. You know, stand up in your boat, take a peek around, um, see if you can see anything. Um, so hang out there. As far as flies are concerned, my fly selection doesn't really change all that much throughout the year. The only thing that really changes um, is my retrieval. Not the size? And the size. Yeah. So typically in the beginning, I'll start out with like a four-inch bait fish. I call it like a something jerk, like a little jerk is what I call it. Yep. And it's just a little all-white kind of craft fur bait fish. Um one of my like best selling patterns for sure but it's it's very fish uh, very fishy swims really well and i use all white in the beginning that's like my go to everywhere you know it's no small. red or I, i've no, always no seen that people like red for some reason the classic colors for pike are red and white which yes. i do love i do love no one you know i'd be lying to you if i, I said i didn't love them but 
I always start out with this small, four-inch, all-white craft for a bait fish. And it's super easy to cast. Um, it sinks really well. And it uh, is easy to create a lot of action on, you know, to make yep. it look like a wounded bait fish or something. So I've had great success with that in the spring. Um, alongside of that, I'll also use uh, some hollow flies. Deer hair is big as well. And I typically put a lot of flash into them. So things that are like flashy, yep. you know. Um, pike seem to like flash more than other fish, um, especially, you know, that type of fish. So I use a lot of flash. Um, red and white, great color pattern. All white, great color pattern. Things that are bright, chartreuse, great. Um, you know, bright oranges seem to work well. I mean, they're, they're really not that picky. It's just you have to basically find them. If you can find them, they're going to eat. Like they're, they're, they're predators, you know, they're, they're the top predators in the water. Yep. And they're not like musky. Musky will eat like once a month, you know. Um, <laughs> bass might only eat in the morning and the afternoon. They want to chow. They, they don't care. They want to chow. Yep. Um, and like, they're, like I've seen pike eat baby ducks. I've seen pike cough up little like turtles. Wow. I've seen pike cough up hair like i thought it mice or some type of mammal you know i don't you know i so, watched i watched a squirrel swim all the way across the interscoggin river which was probably like it was literally like a 120 yard stretch that's ballsy and i'm watching him and part of me was rooting for him and part of me was like i want to see this thing just get smashed by a bike because they're in that section oh yeah yeah he so was, he didn't know what was underneath so pretty much lucky. all spring, you can fish along weed lines. Okay. All, all spring, you can fish along weed like lines. Like what spring though? Like into like um, into June, yeah, mid, mid to late June, I'd say. Okay. You can fish pretty much along weed lines as long as it's not too weedy, and you're good. You're yep. good. Just get your fly down a f- couple feet at most. Most pike in the spring are going to be in water that's less than ten feet. Yep. So. You know, get your line down a couple feet. Retrieval? Are you, like, ripping it? Are you, like, strip, strip stuff? Usually, I'm, like, I'm trying to really imitate a dead bait fish. That's, like, my Mm. primary goal. So, usually the a dead bait fish is going to have a quick, like, a quick movement followed by, like, a fluttering sort of dead drift. So, I'll try to do, like, one, two, three really quick. Or, like, one. leave it. Or, like, one really quick, leave it for, like, one, two, three, one really quick. One, two, three, one really quick. Or, you know, strip, 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 leave it, leave it, leave it. Let it get back to sinking down, you know, a foot or two. Strip, strip, strip. The um, the sets, a lot like striper sets. I do a lot of strip setting. I, I almost never trout set where you're using yeah, the... Yeah, it makes sense. You're using the rod, essentially. Right. For pike, they have really bony mouths, like... It's not soft like a trout, and so you really need to drive that hook home. Like, you really need to drive it home. So you want to strip set. Um, And, like, if it's a big one, you want to strip set, like, maybe twice, not just once. You know what I mean? Like, just just keep stripping. There's nothing – you can't really strip too much. Um, And so, yeah, so that's pretty much the spring. Like, hit hit those weed bed edges 
when the spring passes, come like mid-June, late June, the weeds become so thick that it becomes really difficult to fish the weed lines in a lake. Like, yeah. There are some places where you can, but it becomes very difficult with a fly rod. Um, again, you can always set a perpendicular, but the longer and longer the summer goes, the deeper and deeper the weeds get. So the pike are like, they're still where they used to be in that 10-foot section, but the weeds might go out to the 20-foot section. Okay. You know, so... Because yeah. the pike don't care if they're on the edge or if they're in the middle of the... Right, but for they, you it's hard because oh, right. you're casting a fly exactly. into... Exactly. ...tall weeds is not fun. So from, like, mid-June to, you know, July-ish, there's, like... There's a transition period. Because pike enjoy cold water they seek out cold refugees when the water gets into the, you know, high 60s, 70s. Yeah. So they'll seek out cold refugees, and if you know where those refugees are, then you're golden. Yeah. Usually they're in, like, 15, 20 feet of water. Okay. You know? Um, like hanging around springs? Yeah, hanging around springs, yep. um, inlets, outlets. If sure. there's, like, a deep spot on an inlet, deep spot on the outlet. Rivers, so, like, the Andro River... They might even get to, like, the side of a of an eddy, side of a current. Yep. That water's typically a little colder with maybe a little drop-off mixed in there. But in rivers, you'll notice that weeds are starting to pop up as well. Yep. But they don't grow nearly as thick as a lake. Yeah. Is that because of running? I'm yeah. assuming it's because of running water. Probably exactly, more yeah. oxygen. So it's just, it's, right. it, yeah, it's tougher for weeds to grow vertically when they're getting basically pushed. Um, also the water is more turbulent and it has more debris in it typically. So the amount of sunlight that's entering the water and actually hitting the plants is typically lower than a lake. So they perform less photosynthesis and then therefore they get less food. So in rivers come those warmer months, the weed edges are really easy to hit. There's almost no weeds in a river in June. You know what I mean? There's almost yeah. there's almost no. None. There's nothing. No. You're so right. come July though, those weed beds start to develop, and so I really switch my tactics come July and August. I switch from any lakes that I might go to. I switch it to the river. Yep. Because it's much easier for me to attack those fish on the fly, and they're typically bigger. Like not all the time. The Belgrades is another great place to fish for pike. Yep. They have some monster pike in there. Yep. Like stupid pike. And yeah, so, I know a lot of people that go that go to that. Yeah. So there, it's just... tough to beat that, but the Andro River is king for large pike. And like my biggest pike on the fly came out of the Andro River and I've caught a really close one in Sabatis on the fly, pretty close to that. But the one I got nothing here. I'm I'm trying to look it up. I'm people complain about our law book. They're not kidding. I don't look in law book very often because I don't really keep fish. And man, I can't even find Sabatis listed anywhere in the law book. So it must just be under general law. But I was trying to look for the mm-hmm. like. Do they still have that? Like I don't kill think they all do. Or whatever. They took it out. I think they must have. But um. But anyway, so yeah. So I changed my tactic up in the summer. I start targeting the river and. Really easy. Look for a little drop-off, mm-hmm. like something to 10, 15 feet. Yep. Uh, abutting that, a weed bed. Yeah. You find that, it's over. They're there. That's when I've always caught them in the summer. Yeah. I don't really target. I've never targeted in the spring. I'm very, like, I'm new. I'm learning from mm-hmm. this, too, and um, 
that's why I want to pick your brain about it yeah. also. But I've caught them like as bycatch when I've been smallmouth yeah. fishing. They're there. Like if and river fish I find to be a little more picky than lake fish. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe because there's the prey is not as dense or something. But um, if you're fishing for pike in the Andro River, a sunfish pattern is something with an orange belly. Interesting. Sun, there's a lot of them. A lot of them. Is that what those are called? Sunfish. There's, they, yeah, there's, there's, so there's pumpkin perch, seed yeah, there's like pumpkin seed, or whatever the hell uh, called. there's pumpkin seed and we have, um, another one, but I cannot, uh, I can't think of it for the life of me right now, but we have two, not bluegills. We don't have bluegills in the no. intro. Um, but they have a red belly, mm. you know, orangish belly. Some of them do. Yeah, you're right. And, uh, so I have a little, you know, four, three inch. Um, sunfish pattern that I use that I catch a ton of pike on. Put an orange belly on it? Yep. I What I do is actually I use a curved hook. I use like a, uh, you know, like a Texas rig for... Yep, I do. On the bend of the hook, I put orange beads. Interesting, yeah. And then the shank, huh. the straight shank, yeah. I use feathers so it looks like here's the fish and then that's the orange like, belly. Like orange hackle feathers, like saddle hackle or something like that? Or? I'll use like white and green and like blue you know, oh, that okay. kind of yeah, for the yeah. body, and then the orange beads will By be that beads. orange belly. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Huh. So the only reason is I was ice fishing um, for pike a long time ago, and I caught a large pike, massive pike, like, you know, 15-plus pounds yep. easily. And so I killed it, and thinking I was doing the Androscoggin River justice for whatever reason, what a skewed thought anyway so i killed it and i uh looked in its belly to see what it was eating and it had i mean it must have had a hundred one inch sunfish that's crazy it must have had a hundred of them yeah one i mean like so those are babies those are babies just gorging on them so i thought well if they're gorging on babies they must continue to eat them sure and that was the start of that that's cool and so that was great um that's very cool oh yeah it was a fantastic find so use something with an orange belly. Interesting. That's a killer. Okay. If you're looking to target pike, I don't catch as many smallmouth on it. Because obviously when you're fishing for pike in the Andro or the Kennebec, you're you also kind of there. fishing for smallmouth at the same time. Yep. So I don't have as great a success for smallmouth with it, but with pike, I seem to have a great success. Yeah, I've heard um, there's parts of the Kennebec where you can get both of those and stripers on the same and time. And stripers. Yeah. Which is insane. Yeah. So cool. That would be really cool. What a cool day. Yeah. You know? What a yeah. cool day. So, yeah. So, and then... Let me ask you this question. Yeah. How do you uh, how do you handle them, especially bigger ones? Like, you're not netting them most of the time, I'm assuming. Nope. Almost never. I've never... I don't, God, I don't even know if I've ever netted a pike in my life. I don't know if like, I ever can, have. Can you when they're that big? Like, I mean, Typically, the net that we usually carry you get, is Right, you're big. right. I don't. I usually don't. So, usually... Nine times out of ten, I'm fishing from them. Eh, maybe not nine. Five times out of ten, I'm fishing from them from shore. Yeah. So I fish on foot. Yeah. So I typically just, you know, drag them in, get them in, um, in shallow water, yeah. and then try to tail them. Because usually you can grab them right by the tail. Yeah. No problem. Because their tail is like, it's not like a trout. They're sort of elongated. Yeah. So you, it's more of a baseball bat. You know, you can grab, so you grab on. control with right, the you tail. Can, yeah, you can have take control. The fly out. Yeah, you can have control. Are you using? What are you using to get the fly out of its mouth? I just use my fingers 
unless it's deep. Yeah. Then you know, hemos, pliers, whatever. Needle nose pliers work great. Yeah. Because some you know their their mouths and throats are everything is kind of elongated. So if it's in deep, because they do inhale it. I mean, they just inhale it. If it's deep, then uh, you might need to get down in there. And they do have for those people who don't know anything about pike, they have crazy teeth. Like cut your hand up. That's why I asked. Cut your hand up teeth. Yeah, it's not like getting bass thumb. It's, yeah, it's not like getting bass thumb. No. It's more like, like you could, you know, I've seen guys that maybe could have needed stitches for sure. Yeah. You know, they get a hold of you. So, um. Do you grab my, another reason I ask is I see a lot of people that pick them up at the gills. So they're pretty robust fish. Yeah. And like sometimes Instead of, okay, you never want to go inside a fish's gill plate and catch a gill. Yeah. That's a no-no because that's bad for the gill. So more so than up and under, you know what I mean? Up and under. What you can do is slide almost underneath the jaw. Okay. So you're not going up anywhere near the gills. Yeah. You're kind of up underneath the jaw And I think that's where I see most people holding them, actually. Yeah. And so that's a safe place where you're not going to clip the gill. Yeah. You're not going to, like crank on the jaw or anything so i usually you can almost when you find the slot like if you raise your finger up too high you'll catch a tooth gotcha you'll catch a tooth so like you're up and under there you're bringing your fingers down a little bit you're in the right spot though yes don't don't work back towards the gill if you work back towards the gill that's when you start getting into hey am i you know am i catching a gill filament, am I going to rip out a gill? You know, that would be detrimental. So, but it's work more towards the front. And, um, if you feel a tooth, you're in the right spot. Yep. You know, and that's a safe place where if you have them there and you have them by the tail and you want to take a quick picture with them or something, they're not going anywhere. Yep. You got control of them. Nothing's going to happen. They're safe. Their, their weight is supported. They're in good shape. I've never asked you this question before, and I'm going to because it's on my mind. Okay. Do you fish all barbless hooks, or are there certain fish or sizes of fish that you are like, I'll use a barb hook for this? Um, some of my, so like not all of my flies are barbless, you know, all of my trout ones are, but not all of my pike and bass ones are. Yeah. Um, basically, for pike and bass, I will... If it's a really big barb, then I'll pinch it. Yeah. You know, um, but like A-Rex hooks have really tiny barbs. Oh, that's cool. And so like comparatively to other hooks, you know, so like those, you know, whatever. I don't take the time to pinch every single one of them. Sure. Um, But yeah, it's dependent. If I go to like, let's say a local bait shop or something and I see they have 20 stainless steel hooks for $2. I'll buy them. But usually the barbs are like massive. Yeah. So I'll pinch those. But if it's super small and it's just going to be a small mouth, large mouth or pike fly, no, I typically don't. Okay. I don't pinch any of my musky flies either. Interesting. I'll use any advantage that so, I can get. So that leads me to my second question, which I've had this I've had this debate with mm-hmm. so many people. And yeah. I think you know the question I'm going to ask. Sure. Is... Do you think that you get a higher catch rate with a barbed hook versus a barbless hook? No, I don't. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Like, um, does it matter for species? Nope, I don't think so at just all. Just in general? No, nope, I don't think it matters at all. You think it's the hook set? Yep, for sure. Um, That's what most people say. I think, if you want to break it down by physics, 
If you have a barb, that means that your initial hook set needs to be harder to get the flesh to move past the barb because the barb is a wider diameter, which yeah, means you need, to apply, you need to apply more pressure for the hook point to penetrate a wider diameter. So if you pinch the barb, the diameter is smaller. means the hook will slide through easier. Hmm. So... I think I no, I don't think it matters. As long as you keep it tight. If you're if you're a good angler, you keep your line tight and your hook pops out. Yeah. It was probably gonna pop out regardless if there was a barb. That's my question because sometimes I feel like and this isn't pike talk, but I'm mm-hmm. fishing the size twenty fly mm-hmm. that has a minuscule barb on it as it is. Right. But if you crimp that barb, I I don't know. Sometimes they, they like those flies seem to pop out so much, especially if you got some good water and stuff. But well, it's size twenty. I know, but I, but would the barb matter? That's my like. Would the barb just be that extra little bit to hold on? No, no, it wouldn't. No, okay. it would not. But a barb can cause a lot of lip damage to yep, fish. A lot more damage. Um, and like again, talking, you know, if you're gonna work it out by sort of the physics of it. If there is a barb and it does get past, so let's say the point of the hook pokes out past the jaw, right? So it goes through the cheek, out past the jaw, right? So it's inside and now it's out. Yep. It is harder to remove that hook if there's a barb. Makes sense. There, it is. It's harder. Yeah. But typically, if it was in that position without a barb, it wouldn't matter. You're going to catch that fish. Yeah. So that's why I say I don't think it matters. When your barbless hook pops out, how much ever pressure it caused to cause that to pop out probably is going to pop out anyways with a barb. Yep. Especially trout because trout have, with pike and bony mouths fish, uh, it's up for debate, I guess. But with trout, they have such soft mouths. Like yep. barb, no barb, It's good. that flesh is so easy to tear. So it doesn't matter. Like you could put the smallest amount of pressure and rip a barb out of a a trout's mouth you know it takes no pressure at all so i don't i all my trout are barbless um most of my bass and pike are barbless just because one when i go pike fishing i try to fish either really small barbs or barbless because it's such a pain in the butt to get the fly out yeah and And you're messing with teeth anytime Like, if it can be barbless and it makes the hook coming out of a pike's mouth easier, I'll take that over, you know, any doubt in my mind. Sure. I, I don't have any doubt, sure. you know. Because, like, there are days when I'll go out and I'll catch 30, 40, 50 pike with a barbless hook. Yep. So, no, I don't think it matters. I think what's more important um, is keeping your line tight. And keeping the correct angle. Yep. Right? Not having it straight, not having your rod tip straight up into the air and not having it straight out. Not you pointing know? right at them. Putting a little bit of bend, you know, yep. at that angle. Um, you know, keeping it whatever in. I don't You're know. a big side pressure guy. The goal, the goal, you know, the golden zone. Yeah, a little side pressure. Yeah. It's the best place to, best place to be. Yeah. Not too much. It's quick to. The side pressure, you're like, you're quick. To give it some if you need it, right? So yeah. you can just let your rod tip go forward. So this is really for pike, I guess, and bat, like strike bass, I would say. If you're here with side pressure and they need to run, you can just tip your rod forward really easily and the line will come off your reel mm. easier. Yeah. If you want to put more pressure, then you just lean back a little bit, Yeah. right? So that forward and backward motion allow you to 
let the fish play when it needs to and stay tight when you need to. So I, I like doing that. Um, again, that's super rare because that's like a 10 plus pound, 15 pound pike or a 40 inch striper, right. you know, like, right. so those are rare instances. Most of the time in Maine, I'd say the majority of the pike caught are between three and six pounds, somewhere in between there. It's like 20, 25 inches. Yeah, 20, somewhere, yeah, between probably 18 and 25 yeah. inches around there, which those are like hard hitting. Yep. You There's no question. So if you're like, you know, tight lining or nymphing or something, you might be like, boy, was that a hit? Did I just get a hit? Right. You know, did that brook trout hit? You know what it's I mean? Different. Pike, it's no, no there's question. no question. Yeah. You, you got to fish them. Yeah. And the other great thing about fishing for pike is like, you're never just going for pike. There, you know, I do, but at the same time, I'm fishing areas where bass are always present. Yeah. Um, usually crappy, white perch, smallmouth bass. There's all let kinds of. Let me ask you this question. Cause this is another good one for beginners. Is mm-hmm. um, uh, how do you how do you know the difference between the pike and the chain pickerel? Because they're very similar looking. Because you can get some pretty big pickerel. For sure. Two, do they actually hang out in the same waters? So, pike and chain pickerel have morphologically defining features. One, pickerel are typically more green. Mm. And they have, like... As opposed to, like, lighter colored? Yeah, they're typically more green as opposed to pike, which are more, like, bronzy, Mm. sort of a lighter, almost whitish, bronzy brown with sort of a dark back. So the pickerel are green, um, and they typically have these black, like, sections, chain, like a chain link fence. That's sort of where the chain pickerel gets its name from. So they yeah, have this, this pattern along about. the side that yep. is chain link. It looks like a chain link fence. Yep. Um, so that's a, those are like the common ways. Pike fins look like tiger stripes. Yeah. Their fins look like tiger stripes. Chain pickerel do not. Doesn't a pike have a black slit down its eye too? The um, yes. So, the um, I'm trying to look up a thing about there. Okay, so the um, not the pike. The chain pickerel have the black slit. Okay, so yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. Sure. So yeah, gotcha. below the eye, below the eye, if you see a black slit. Um, not a slit, I guess, a line, a black line beneath the eye, then that is a chain pickerel. Yeah. Pike do not have it. Yep. They do inhabit the same waters, and so sometimes you will get hybrids where I'm you're sure. like, it happens all, it happens quite frequently because yeah. they can interbreed, which yeah. is... Well, they're so kinda, similar. Unique. It's kind of unique. Yeah. So they can interbreed, and uh, they look very confusing. You're like... I don't see a black slit, but I see a chain pattern. Right. And, you know, it's very confusing. So, But for the most part, um, the black slit is a dead giveaway for pickerel. And then pike, they have more like dots, like light-colored, yellowish, whitish dots yeah. that go down their body. Um, they almost have a musky-type body compared, like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, they're... Like they're their back comes down, it's like a hump as it goes down their head. Mm-hmm. Like it's a bigger hump than for pickerel from their head starting on their neck or back or whatever you want to call it. Right. And chain pickerel are like... Like flatter? Yeah, know. like thinner almost. You know, yeah. they're more stream-like. But pike, yep. they're, they're, they're not. They're typically, typically a little more robust. There's also a... Um, 
the patches on their gill, so their um, their scale formation on their gill plate is different. I can't remember. I'm trying to look it up right now, but I can't remember. But they have a different pattern, and so if there are, um, I guess I'll have to look it up now. But the basically where the scales are located on the gill plate will determine if it's a pike or a pickerel. Gotcha. Um, and that's a super cool feature. But most people just use that little black line. Yeah, I that's mean, the one that I've always he, um, known. But I was I was backwards, so that just tells you how little. I, yes, that is. Yeah. <laughs> I, how many few pike I've caught in my life? I've only caught them by accident. I've never targeted them before, so I would really like to do that this year. And yeah, well, feel free to. All right, here it is. So the, um, wow, super interesting. So the northern pike has a fully scaled cheek with half of the gill-covered scales. So their cheek has scales on it, and they have half of their gill-covered scales, whereas pickerel do not have a fully scaled cheek. So if you look at the cheek of the fish and you see just pure scales, that would be a pike. And if it does not, then that would be a chain pickerel. You probably aren't looking at them in that detail. But, um, yeah, I think the more... The, the spots are definitely a key. So they have like these yellow spots, white spots, pike do. They also have like tiger stripes on their fins. Looks just like tiger stripes. Um, and they do not have any black line. Chain pickerel have a chain link like fence going down their side. They have a black line. They're typically more green. Yeah. Like a bass green. You know? The biggest reason I also ask too is like obviously if you get like a 30 inch fish, that's not a pickerel. That's a... Could be. That's a pike. There's some pretty big pickerel. Yeah, that big. There's some pretty big I mean, I've out caught there. some big pickerel, but to me, the big pickerel are like the smaller pike. Mm-hmm. The um, Andrew Lake. Andrew Lake. Yeah. I guess a monster pickerel. Interesting. Like massive pickerel. Yeah. I mean, I used back in my largemouth days, mm-hmm. you'd catch some pretty big pickerel. But I agree that the biggest pike and the biggest pickerel are nowhere near each other. The yeah. biggest pike will eat the biggest pickerel. You know, so. Um, yeah, so they're nowhere near. So, so back to, so when summer comes around, you need to find cold places. In fact, most places I, I, I stay away from lakes because you need to get really deep Yeah. and with fly gear that it's tough. Is there ever a point in the summer where you're like, I'm not going to fish for pike cause they're probably not. No. The rivers yeah, are so hot. They'll be there. The rivers, they'll always be in the rivers. Always. Cool. They'll always be. Well, yeah, they got nowhere else to go really. Right. They got nowhere else to go. And so they're always near the weed beds. Mm. Now, they might come in the weed beds early. So, like, let's say it's, you know, dog days of August. Yeah. They might come into the weed beds early and then go out deep into the middle of the river yeah. channel to leave um, their breakfast later. and head yep. back out. Um, and that's fine. So, just get up early. Yeah. Go hit the weeds lines. It's cool. You can, in the rivers, like then, you can fish from shore, but it gets difficult because you can't be perpendicular. Yeah. Um, but, so, I tend to take, I have this, a little John boat or just a little kayak. Because in the Andro, perfect place. Especially if you could float. If you can float. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I used to I'd run some trips over there for smallmouth. Mm-hmm. And, like, you sometimes have people that would never cast a fly rod, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, all right, we're getting some smallmouth today. It's, like, August. And you get out early and you get floating. And the first fish of the day just happens to be a pike. Hmm. Right, because you fish like some weedy areas mm-hmm. that aren't far from yeah. where you put in or whatever. Yeah, and uh, like here you are with a <laughs> brand new person, brand new person and you're like, trying to help them land like a two foot 
hike. Yeah. And you're like, and you're like uh, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. It's not like what you're expecting. Yeah. So that throws a wrench in your day. But yeah. that makes good sense because I've never really caught them midday that time of year. Yeah. It's like too, where I fish too for hot. Small, it's too hot for them. Too hot for them. Yeah. They can't digest. Like they need – see a fish like you – it doesn't matter for you. Um, you're – you know, you can digest things no matter what the temperature is outside. Right. True. You're an endotherm. You're pure endotherm. You yeah. create your own temperature. Everything. You always get as hungry when it's super hot. Sure. Humid, but you could but like you, you could eat a hot dog whenever. True. And digest it, and then you know go to the That's bathroom. True. Right. Yeah. Pike when it's too hot cannot. They can't. Their metabolism slows to such a rate where they literally can't digest things. So yeah. when it's too hot, that's why fish aren't eating when it's too hot. They yeah. can't digest it. They don't have the metabolism to digest it. So, you know. That's why, like, they might still eat things. Like, pike, super cool fact about pike. They've been known to hold on to their food in their mouths for as long as two weeks. So they'll just hmm. hold a fish in their mouth for up to two weeks. Yeah. And then eat it when they're ready. It's <laughs> interesting. You know what I mean? It's yeah. A, it's an insane, like, yeah. they're one of the few fish that do that. So, like, later in that season, though, the, like, you say they put the feed bag on in May, but, like, mm-hmm. in August... They might just eat a few bait fish every day. Yeah, they're definitely not eating as much. Oh, like 20 um, You know, they're just eating in maybe in the morning, maybe in the afternoon. I'm sure, I mean, you can still catch them during the day. Typically, in the summer, if you go to a lake, or I found, I catch a lot of smaller ones. Yeah. They're taking advantage of this opportunity. The big ones are a little more sluggish. Yep. Um, and so, yeah. So, and also, I don't. I haven't mentioned, but so I'm using like a 7, 8, 9 weight. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's I your have, meter set up and all that? I have intermediate line. Yep. Um, at the most I'll have like a sink tip, you know, a, uh, heavy sink tip. Maybe if I want to get down on those ledges, yeah. um, but for the most part, you never need to get deeper than five feet. Well, the sink tip's nice too, though, because now you're not having to throw, uh, right. weighted flies. Right. right. It pretty much that takes it down. Yeah. And it, the weighted fly line, the, like a sink tip is so easy to cast. Yep. Um, and then what I'm running for a leader depends, um, if there is really clear water mm-hmm. and they're super spooky, you know, because sometimes they can get spooky if you are throwing a big fly and it, you know, splashes right next to them, they'll spook. And so I'll use like a nine foot, 20 pound mono and just kind of risk it. Yeah. Um, I, very, very, very rarely does it break. Yeah. Very, very rarely. It does. Don't get me wrong. It has broken before. I've always but, heard of people that are like, oh, I'll use like wire leaders and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, so but. on top of that, um, if it's murkier water, like in the Andro or the Kennebec River, typically it's not like crystal clear there, no, you know, no. almost never. No. <laughs> so there, if I'm going for pike, what I'll do is I use the leader that I sell. I use this, um, it's what I use for muskie and pike, and it's basically a shorter leader. It allows you to turn that fly over really quick. Yeah. What's short, like five feet? Um, Six feet? Yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's five five. I think yeah. it's five feet. Yeah, five feet, five five, somewhere in there. And basically, it's um, it's three three feet of forty pound mono, mm-hmm. and then two feet of wire bite. That's um, just a type of whatever. I have a, a wire leader that is like thirty pound test, and yep. then I have a clip on the end, a quick clip. Do you know yeah. what those are? Those. Yep. yep. Because I was going to say, like, you're not tying knots with a no, wire leader. No, Quick clip and... She's using a clip at the end. They don't seem to care. Cool. And that's it. Yeah. And uh, 
that well, wire. Why would they? I mean, they, people catch them on spin gear, right? Clips it, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, it does not matter. The wire is super important um, when you get into the bigger fish for sure yep. because they typically inhale the fly, and when the fly is deeper, it's just getting. <laughs> Your leader is just getting mauled by literally yeah. hundreds of teeth yeah. that are razor sharp. So if you had even if you had 30, 40 pound tests, like that's I've had I've lost fish on forty pound mono. Just my line is cut clean, you yeah. know. So it's like that's teeth. That's crazy. You know, so that's crazy. So that's my leader setup. Um I've gone over flies. So after the summer goes by, then the fall picks up. And the fall is tricky for sure. Um because you know, I'm typically out looking for trout, um, but yeah. there is an extended period where, again, the pike are putting on the feed bag before right. winter gets there. Well, it's hard because so many people want to target trout salmon, right. and it's like pike are hot at the same time. I'll say, though, pike are hotter for much longer. Yeah. So if you're like, okay, so you get done, it's, uh, you know, October 1st, October 15th, whatever. Yep. You're done with trout pretty much. You know, there's a couple places to go. Sure. For sure. Yeah. You know. Usually past the point there. Though. But, you know, you're like, all right, I'm They've kinda, spawned. Yeah, I'm kind of right. I'm kind of over trout now, right? Yeah. I can give them a break till the spring. Yeah. Pike are hot from October to, you know, November. Yep. Easily. Yep. Like, easily. Especially, like, Belgrade's are a great place to go. Sabata's a good place to go. Andrew River. They're kind of back into those weedy areas yep. the longer starting, during the day now because the temps are back down. Yes, yeah, yeah. You'll always find some pike near weeds because they're ambush predators. Yeah. Um, but I find that they're concentrating. You need to find the bait. You need yeah. to find bait fish. They follow the bait fish. So it's more so they're trying to locate large groups of bait fish. So a fish finder is great if you have it. If not, river mouths are great. Um, inlets and, like, not even river inlets, but just, like, coves. Yeah. The mouth, uh, the mouth of a cove yeah. is a great place for bait fish that's sort of to congregate. Yep. And it's super easy to sit on one side of the cove, you know. So here you have a cove, right? You have two points. Yep. East and west on the yeah. – uh, as soon as the cove opens up. It's easy to sit on one point and cast out towards the main channel or the main lake or whatever. Oh, interesting, yeah. And then work your way into the channel. Gotcha. That's a great way. You do that on one point, yep. go do it on the other point. Sure. Because the bait fish are coming and going yep. from the, They're in there, from the yeah. cove. So yeah. you do that. You take 20 minutes. You do that. You've just covered this whole co- this whole uh, opening to this cove. If you get nothing, move into the cove. Yep. Try in to do the same thing. Do that same sort of like sweeping approach. That way you can cover, okay, I've casted once or twice in each direction of this whole area. No bites. Time to move on. Yep. You know, it's a quick, quick way to do it. Well, it's a cool fish because it's, it's, um, it sounds like they're equally as abundant in both rivers and lakes. Whereas sometimes it's really hard to fish mm-hmm. for like, you know, if trout are in rivers, it's really hard to fish them yep. in lakes sometimes without having to get down yeah. at them. And I would say if you're looking for like a trophy, if you want to like, I just want to catch a monster pike. That's, it's tough to do that. It's certainly tough to do that. I would go to one of the Belgrades or Andro River, mm-hmm. maybe even the Kennebec River, but Kennebec's, I would say, not not as well known for their pike population as the Andro River. They're yeah. in there, and there, there's some big ones in there for sure, yeah. but I would say that the Andro is the mecca. Why don't we have them up in, like, uh, Allagash? They haven't been brought there. 
Yeah. Just haven't been brought there. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure, you know. Over time. I'm sure somebody will. It's, it's absolutely reprehensible for anyone who would move a fish into any water. Yeah. That is clear. I want to make that very, very clear. Yeah, and you, absolutely. And if you know of anyone doing it, you should t- you should tell on them. You well, it's should, just a weird move, though, too. It's so bizarre because yeah. it's just really bizarre. And it yeah. ruins... It ruins... Well, it's selfish. It's like, I, won't, I don't want to drive two hours to go catch this fish. I want to drive right down the street from my house. It ruins the... Put a bunch of them in this pond. The social stigma around that fish. Yeah. It ruins the social stigma around. And yeah. that's why pike have gotten such a bad name. We'll yeah. get to that in one second. So the, I know. that's. I feel like that's going to be your grand finale. For yeah, this I, I'm itching. Like, I'm itching to talk about it. So the... Um, <laughs> <laughs> the fall is great. Again, you're looking for just for those bait fish, inlets, outlets, coves. Pike love coves because they can really sort of, uh, you know, narrow bait fish down. Right? Yep. They can like, okay, you're in my cove now. You're yep. here. Like they have, they like these narrow windows of opportunity. That what way, a great hey, spot. They're coming and going from the cove, just picking them right. off. Hey, if a fish swims by here, I can just dart out, get back. Yep. Done. You know, so. That's the fall. And then winter, I don't fly fish farm in the winter. I don't really know anywhere that you can do that. But ice fishing, yeah, people go crazy because they're very... Well, do you think that... I mean, we talked about this with the smallmouth. Like, you probably could fish sections in the Anishkagan before it gets iced up into like, parts, right? I'm sure. It's just well, never something... I've never done it. Do it. I've never... Low, like, you'd have to go low and slow. Yeah. The reason ice fishing is so effective is because one, like... Pike can just go slowly over there and inspect it. Yeah. They'll inspect it. And they say, oh, this fish is a dying fish. And then they'll just like, you know, peg at it. Good. Got it. Off I go. But you'll, if you've ever ice fished for them, when they're going, they freaking run. I mean, they run like salmon, like fast. Like yeah. you're like, oh my God, dude. So, you know, again, they like cold water. So I bet, it, I bet there are sections in the Android you could do it for sure. Yeah. I've never done it. I probably never will. Cause well, the flow is just sketchy at that time of year sometimes. For sure. Yeah, it's, for it's sure. It's like a little mm. worrisome to be falling in December. Yep, I agree. I agree. For sure. It's just different. So so that's pretty much the year. And um, again, I'll say if you want to just catch a pike, then you should go to Sabatis. That is, I'd say, the most pike per area yeah i mean go there and God, like i was just reading they have three thousand people out there ice fishing for yep. derby i mean that's a lot of people for they a lake that's not three thousand people ice fishing it right in a day yeah one day right and that's five traps per person that's fifteen thousand oh, traps wait is it five per yeah person? five per person okay fifteen thousand traps <laughs> you know roughly in one day, yeah. in one day. so yeah. this brings me to a great point yeah, you he so for those of you who don't know, Greg is excited to kind of talk about their reputation, and then how we manage them, in the state, right? Yeah, on the right for track. Sure. You sure are. Okay. Have at it, buddy. Okay, I will. Tee off. <laughs> <laughs> now in the tee box, Greg, Greg Levante. What do you got? Fifteen thousand traps, and it's kill everything you catch. Yeah. How are the pike doing in Sabatis? I'll tell you how they're doing. They're very small, mm-hmm. and they are crazy abundant. If you're pretty much catching and killing everything you catch, mm-hmm. every year there's a mass kill-off, right? Mass kill-off. Yep. And every single year, what's happening? You're taking the biggest pike out. Mm-hmm. You're leaving the smallest ones. Right. Those small ones 
are then spawning mm-hmm. at a smaller and smaller age. Right. The smaller they are, the higher the survival rate in the year class. So, because every year you go, some die, so your yep. survival rate goes down. So you're down. saying there's way more fish in there, but they're just not of size. Very good. Yeah. This is due to the management that's currently in place. Yeah. There's no management. Why is the andro sort of successful with pike? The andro's successful because there's it's a one a bigger area. Yeah. All right, and the amount of food in there is more spread out. Yeah. It's not as concentrated. Right. Sabatis, it's very concentrated. Yeah. And there's a lot of food in there. Yeah. A lot of food, so it can sustain a lot of little pike. Sure. Like a ton of sure. little pike, and. The andro, things are spread out. The andro could be a lot better as well. There is currently no management in place for any pike anywhere. No. So. Well, they're looked at as a nuisance. That's why. So my question is, in 2018, I think 2018, 500,000 individuals fished for pike on the opening day in Minnesota. 500,000. It's crazy. Okay. That's How much money crazy. do you think that brought into the state? Probably a lot. And it's, like I said, it's, there's a stigma about it that it's really, it's the thing there. Whereas Literally, here it's like frowned upon. Sabatis is like such a prime example of Belgrade's too. You know, such towns that really need money. Yeah. They need money. Sabatis yeah. is, you know. Not great. And all the all the towns are all the towns, Scoggin, dude. all the towns on the Androscoggin. They all could use an economic. All boost. of the towns sort of surrounding the Belgrades, the you know, the all of them could use an economic boost. Yeah. Imagine opening day. Imagine they had an opening day for Pike first of all, which is that's hard to get around, <laughs> right. right? To have right. an opening day for Pike because what Minnesota does is they let the Pike spawn and then they open it after. Smart. Okay. Yeah. So. Very smart. We have an opening day for pike. People will come to fish for them if the fishing is good enough. It's right. not right now. Right. It's not. It has the potential to be, but it's not. So you might be saying, oh, well, that's great, Greg. You're just, you know, you're just yelling at people right now. What would you do? I wouldn't kill everything in there, first of all. And I would let anything above 32 inches go. Yeah. Let it go. Yeah. Because those fish are still spawning, right? Yep. Anything under 32, go ahead, kill it. As, kill it. Kill it as much as you want. Anything above thirty-two, let it go. Yep. Has to be has to be let put back. Right, so you're letting bigger fish spawn. Yep. And the big fish will eat the little pike. They right. eat little pike. They sure. eat they eat them themselves. So it's not like yeah, a lot of fish do that. Yeah, a lot of fish do. So will you have as many fish in the lake? No, you will not. Yeah. But will you have bigger fish? Yep. So what do you prefer? What do you think gets an angler to go to the McGalloway? What is it? What is the People want uh, you big, know, they, people want what is fish. Moosehead? Why do people go fish in Moosehead? Right. Because they have big, beautiful fish. Right. Who wants to go fish Sabatis who isn't from Sabatis to catch an, a 16-inch pike? Right. No one. Yeah, it's not, not, a, it's not, not worth appealing. It. And why are they doing this? And in fact, it's so contradictory in IFNW management plans. I hate them. I hate them. because <laughs> Strong I, word. I hate them with a passion because they're contradictory. Yeah. So... In there, they talk about they want to make management for Pike, and they're going to make management for Pike. Haven't seen it. What are they waiting They also talk about how they're not managing for invasive species. 
All right? Mm. Let's pause. So there's a contradictory, number one. Number two, right. invasive species are any species who were not here, um, that are brought here, and can have detrimental impacts on native fish. Mm-hmm. Okay? So let's say you bring uh, a minnow here, and you put it into the Androscoggin, and it has no impact on the local populations of native fish. Mm-hmm. That is not invasive. It needs to be detrimental in some fashion to native fish. Yep. All right. It's been shown now that brown trout have detrimental impacts when when stocked over native brook trout. Mm-hmm. The little Androscoggin has native brook trout, and they have populations of them because I catch them there. Brown trout are spawned or are, are stocked over it. Yep. So they're managing, and there's management limits on brown trout. Yep. So they're managing brown trout over, which are an invasive species, over the wild, the wild brook trout. Yeah. But they won't manage for pike. Right. It's insane. Unbelievable. I know. It's Unbelievable. Crazy. When you say contradictory. So for me, it's like you should be managing pike, one, it's a, gold, it's a golden opportunity. Yeah. You have an ability to allow guides to work there. Yeah. Right? Imagine if the Belgrades had, you know, three guide operations on, you know, each of the ponds there to fish for crazy. Pike. Yeah. Um, it's just an economic boost for the area. Yep, absolutely. People Simple. are coming in, people are buying gas, people are staying, staying in hotels, there, people are eating there. Yes. So, but no, they don't want to manage it because there's a negative stigma around it because pike are destructive. They are totally destructive. Right. Absolutely. But guess what? They're never leaving Sabatis. Right. They're never leaving the Belgrade. So, so why not manage what you got? Why not manage what you got? Yeah. Really block it off. Yeah. What they should do is invest in ways to contain them. So pike are masters of like going up the smallest trickle of water to a yeah. new body of water. They're the masters of it. So they kind of look like snakes. What they should do slippery is invest in blocking off where the pike populations are doing have yeah. potential to do great, right? Belgrades, Sabatis, Kennebec, maybe, it's probably, big. probably not Kennebec, but not Sebago so much. No, I wouldn't say Sebago because that potential has potential to ruin a native salmon fishery. Right. So the only places that I'm advocating for it are places that can no longer sustain trout, trout populations. Salmon. Yeah, 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 native yeah. populations. So sure. pe- people used to fish the Belgrades for salmon and brown trout and brook trout. Right. It used to be a great trout place, but it really doesn't have that potential anymore. When you argue that IFNW is um, at least feeding them with our with our tax dollars, one hundred percent stocking virtual in places where so there's. So I just like to let you know that <laughs> tons of pike that IFNW is stocking. <laughs> Brook trout in Lisbon on the Androscoggin, and pike literally sit at the end of the dock where they stalk yeah. and just gobble them up. Yeah, what a like you know, so may as well just be throwing money in the water. You might as well just chucking five dollar bills. You might as well. In there. So what? So like two people can go and catch one twelve inch brook trout. What's so, cr- what's crazy is that um, we since we did the smallmouth episode on probably a month ago now, a month mm-hmm. and a half, whatever, but. You and I have both gotten messages from people who are listening to the podcast from other states. Yep. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, they're looked at as a nuisance or invasive, whatever. Like, in other states, southern states, Midwest states, there there are literally guides who work 120, 150 days a year on smallmouth trips. Like, they're out there every day during the season, right? Right. And that creates economic booms for the region. So, when you get these, like, small podunk towns... 
that are literally running off of a fishery. Yep. It's like, hello, we have that shit right here in right front here. of us. Yep. It's I mean, all right here. Yep. And we're doing nothing with it. Nothing about it. We're not and, pushing it. And the reason is the stigma around pike. Now, I understand if pike get into a water system where they could have a detrimental impact to native fisheries, they should all be killed. Sure. Like, immediately. I totally agree with that. But can Uh, you even do that? It's really tough, but I agree that drastic measures should be taken to try to kill all of them. Because... But you're talking about places where they're already established. I'm talking about places where they're already established and places where they can be maintained. Right. Belgrades, you can maintain those fish to that region. You could, if you invested in, you know, some blockade system, you could keep them in just those couple of lakes. Yep. Same thing with Sabatis. You could really um, keep it isolated to Sabatis and then Hooper Pond, which is the northern pond to Sabatis. It's a little smaller pond. It's like a little Sabatis. Yeah, yeah, they call it little Sabatis. So if you blocked the outlet of Sabatis, the only two places that they could go are Sabatis and Hooper. That's it. Right. If and you're you, always gonna get you're always gonna get the pessimist who comes in and go, well, an eagle's gonna take one or another sure. body. Which is like, okay, that well, that's kind of a natural. Can't do anything about that. Can't do much about that. No. So that might have happened. Seems rare too. Yeah, sure. I mean, you can talk about ducks traveling and carrying eggs on their feet. Right. That happens with sure. macroinvertebrates. It's been well studied. It's been well well documented that ducks transport macroinvertebrate eggs. From pond to pond. Them as a and so for me, it's never been studied. The fish eggs aspect of it has never been studied. Yeah. But they're similar size, um, especially for pike. Pike have pretty small eggs. They're similar in size and they're even stickier. Yeah. So for me, ducks, you know, who are feeding on the eggs, right? So they're swimming around in the eggs, feeding on all this stuff. They leave, they go to another lake. To have them think that they could be carrying some in their feathers on their feet, and then those eggs hatch and off they go, totally possible. It's possible. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, yeah. absolutely. It's never been studied. Yeah. It'd be I've always wanted to. It'd be like a great way to study it, but um, really tough to track it and prove. Of like course. so tough. You need to like follow a duck as it you know go. But <laughs> but the um, well, I know you like your birds. Yeah, so. I do love I love <laughs> birds. But so this stigma around pike and how bad they are is antiquated. Yeah. It's the older generation. They were brainwashed by IFNW as I was when they told me to kill every pike. I think I still am, but you're selling me the other direction. When when yeah, IFNW so. told me, and IFNW, as everyone knows, is very antiquated in their practices. Mm-hmm. They don't like to change very much. Nope. They have an old guard there. and I think that's an East Coast mentality too, though. Yeah, yeah. We don't I, love change here yeah. in the East Coast. We're uh, not as progressive. No, we're not. We're not as progressive as the West Coast, yeah. even though there are many, many And practices. we're not talking politics here, people. No, definitely not. We're just talking about way of life. And people I'm have been just, here longer, though. I'm talking about fish, and yeah. really. And, like, there's so many studies out there now that are showing that what we're doing on many levels is no longer efficient. Yeah. No longer practical. Yeah. And here we are doing it still to this day. One thing, kill all the pike. So freaking foolish, man. Yeah. So, and you're ruining opportunities for towns. I really feel bad for the people because you're ruining, the, and you know, maybe the people of the towns don't want money. Maybe they don't want economic success. Well, maybe they a lot of these want... places are old mill towns yeah. that, that people are not really living there as much. Like those, I mean, you look at all these like schools that are in these mill towns. They used to be great football teams, right? They used to have like 
big basketball teams sure. and all that stuff, and now they stink because right. nobody lives there anymore. They're dwindling. Because there's no jobs there. There's nothing there. Right. So they need opportunity, and I think, you know, it's it'd be rare to... Plenty of land, plenty of houses for people to live yeah. in, and here's some jobs. I mean, you could literally run a diner that would do so well. You could sure. run little beds and, bed and, and breakfasts, like, rental you know, houses. Winthrop, like Winthrop is, you know... Rome, all these like yeah. these tiny little little places. Belt the Belgrade. Half a million people are fishing on opening day for pike in Minnesota. Half a million. It's insane. In two thousand eighteen. Yeah. Because the pike fishing is that good. Yeah. And there's a stigma around it. Sure. There's a ooh well they're protected like they're basically protected in Minnesota. Right. And so people see them as an asset. Yeah. Right? Oh, well, the state's protecting it. It must be an asset. Yeah. The state's telling me to kill all of it. It must not be and an right asset. Right now, they look at them as liabilities in the state. Now, some people might say, well, look at Canada. Brook Trout and Pike often live in the same lake. Yeah. Why can't they do it here? There's and big, I just want to be... Big brookies. I just want to... Yeah, they're massive. Like, you know, a 10-pound brookie can live with a 20-pound pike in Canada. Right. I just want to make it clear to those people who are wondering that they evolve together. True. And when creatures evolve together, they present strategies to avoid one another or something happens during that evolutionary time period where these two creatures can coexist. Yeah. In Maine, that did not happen. Right. In Maine... Pike did not evolve with our brook trout. Our brook trout evolved without pike. So when they are mixed, it's detrimental. And the size of brook trout here is smaller than for sure Canada. So that's and just more. I agree totally. Fish for them. I don't want anyone to get this mixed up. If pike are making their way outside of some of their known areas, we should stop them for at sure. all costs. We were talking. Well, that's for, a stigma of smallmouth because everybody knows about the Rapid River for sure, and how the the smallmouth are taking over for there, sure. and how they've they've been killing off the brook trout population. And yeah, but it's it's crazy that one river system puts a bad name on literally yeah all the smallmouth in the whole southern central downeast part of Maine. Yeah, right? yeah, yep. I agree. Bass, 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 and nobody fishes for them. I agree, and um, on big numbers. I would say that. So, like, the Kennebec, the dams that are coming out. Yeah, I out. wanted to ask you about that. So, the dams are coming out, or, well, I don't know if they're officially coming out. They're not. They're not officially, right? Well, they're, two things. It's a hot Facebook topic right they're, now. They're bidding for it, right? Yeah, but a lot of what I read recently is that the towns, surrounding towns from there, pay less in tax dollars to have those dams there because the dams are still providing some utility, some electricity, right? Hmm. So... You're basically telling people that taxes are going to go up if we remove these, which is hard to sell the locals on. So hard. Rightfully so. And I could be wrong, and people listening, I probably <laughs> am wrong in some way, but I read an article the other day, and to me, that seemed like the main takeaway, but I'm not the brightest tool in the shed, or the sharpest bulb in the light, right? So, I, I <laughs> yes, I, I, rightfully so. The local people, they should have a say. If they take that dam out, the two, the two, right? There's two. It's supposed to be four. There's four. About. Okay, so if they take yeah. the four, yeah. Talking Pike, about Shawmut. Shawmut. Um. Oh God, this, the one in Waterville is not the Shawmut. Is it Shawmut? There's. Oh my God, we're gonna have to look it up. Whatever. The, there's the four lowest dams on the Kennebec Left because the Edwards Dam came yeah. out in the '90s. Mm-hmm. Whatever if, the next four are. If they take that out, the ones in Waterville, um, the Benton Dam. 
Are they are they taking? Yeah, it's Ben or Fairfield, whatever. So I think that's Shamit though. Oh okay, if they take those dams out, Pike will be moving up. That's yeah. a, that's a guarantee. But the reason they want to take the dams out is because of they want Atlantic salmon to be able to reach sp- uh, spawning grounds. Right, like the Sandy and like. I mean, however far they can go, however far they can go. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Carabasa. there's, a, I'm sure there's a bunch of. Them. They can go to Carabas and they get yep. to Sandy. Yeah. So, if they do that, if they take those out, Pike will, you'll get Pike up there. You think it's worth the risk? I I don't have a good grasp on how established the Pike populations are in the Kennebec. Like, I know if the Andro tried to do it, I don't know if it would be worth the risk. Well, let me ask you this question. Because there's so what are you What are you risking in places like the Sandy or the Carabasset that don't have strong wild trout populations? They have them. You're, you're risking... But they stock a lot. You're risking though. every native trout in there. True. Period. True. Which, for me... Is but is the, it worth it for Atlantic salmon? For me, no. 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 Because you just think the Atlantic salmon is not going to happen. Yeah. No, unless they, um, unless they stop (laughs) the rising of the temperature in Mm -hmm. the earth. (laughs) Right. Right. Uh, That's not not happening. If they lower the acidification of the ocean, also bleak outlook there. Right. Well, CO2 goes in the ocean and raises. Um, And if they can start controlling the Labrador current in the sea, also not going to happen. So um, if those things can't happen, which they're not going to, um, I see no viable way to bring the salmon back to, like, to their glory days. Yeah. To not even, so like we, like when we get a thousand fish back in the Penobscot, because the Kennebec has a, they have a laughable run as it is. It's sure. the Penobscot. That's the only viable sure. thing left. Yeah, so it's the furthest one up, up the coast. So what you're doing in the Kennebec, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter what you do in that river. You need to fix the Labrador Sea. Yeah. You need to fix that first. What if you stock Atlantic salmon in the tribs nope, in the doesn't Kennebec? Work. They've already done it. They've already done but it. But without the dams there, do you think it would help? Nope, I don't. You don't think it would help establish a population? Nope. Because guess what? They So they have to swim. Most of them swim to the Labrador Sea. Not all of them, but most of them do. The Labrador Sea, in case you don't know, the Labrador Sea, their food chain got is whack. It's messed up. Yeah. And it used to have capelin, which capelin are um, uh, basically a big smelt. Um, it used to have capelin swimming on the top of the water column. Well, the capelin eat these like uh, macro plankton, micro plankton, these small, you know, algae, diatoms, things like that. The diatoms, the, you know, phytoplankton, because of the temperature switch, have shifted down below. So they have moved to deeper water. The capelin followed them. Salmon don't have that ability. So the salmon are still on top. They've had to switch their diet to squid. Which is not as nutrient rich. Yeah. So they, Always abundant. So they get their feed and they don't have enough energy to make it back. Yeah. So they get picked off along the way by predators. They just don't make it. Yeah. And so that's that's just one. What that, happens to the ones we stock? Because we do stock Atlantic salmon in this state. A ton. Like a yeah. ton. Yes. Of, a ton. Yeah. 
Not much. They a lot of them die. <laughs> like, do like, they not? Do they try to go to Labrador? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They go. Yeah, yeah. They now, go. Are they hopping in with the wild ones? Yeah, they, they just sure are. They sure are. are. Yeah. So there are still wild ones lingering in southern parts of Maine. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very few. Very few. Yeah. You can go look on D- DMR and yeah. see the uh, fish counts. Yeah. You know, every year, and yeah. uh, it's bleak. It's not good. But those fish counts are at the dams that we have, right? Yeah. That's the yeah. best way for them yeah. to count them. Yeah. 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 Like what? The Saco River Dam. Um. Yep. That's one. The Penobscot. The. What's it called? They they still have a fish lift in um, Milford. No, in uh, it's not BZ. has gone. No, gone. They they have a fish lift somewhere. Yeah, on the Penobscot, right? Also, or like, right around there. There's a Noah. Thing. Noah has like tagged like so many. Yeah, and they have trackers. They have these um, little pit tags, and they basically swim by a place and beep. A little yep. catches their beep, catches their signal, and that's a count. You know, they I think can do so it that many way. people are hopeful that they can make a comeback at some point in in our generation. But it's funny to hear me hear you listen to you, who yeah, or you're a very hopeful person. I sure am for and sure. There are people that are listening to this who are probably saying, "No way, Greg." You I am very. Much. I am super. I don't hopeful. believe you. Sorry, yeah, I have. I have high hopes for a lot of things, and yep. Atlantic Sam is not one of them. Yeah, but yeah. So the the pike, you know. If you take those dams out on the Kennebec, pike are moving up. Yeah. And how far can you get? Can you get to Moosehead? No, because you still have the... Well, you still have the big dam, the Harris Dam. You still have the Harris Dam. Right. That's right. Okay. So I don't think they can go up there, and I don't know if there's rivers like the dead that skirt around there or something, though, and reconnect somewhere. All, I'll tell you this. But, I mean, I, they, dude, they could go to Flagstaff oh, and the Rangeley region. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can't Sandy, do it. I'm against it. If they get the same, come against can, it. You well, can't yeah. do it. You can't do it. I know. Because they're going. They're going. Yeah. Wherever you let them go, they'll be there. Now, eventually. what I've read from people, and again, these are people posting, God, but so scary. a lot of people think that there's not a huge pike population in the Kennebec. There's, I know there's not. I just don't so know. It's not, they're not like that worried about it. You know what I mean? Well, that, see, that's bad. That's, yeah. that's, those are the people who probably are like, you know, oh, it's okay if we shoot all the bison because there's so many bison that it, we'll never lose them or the pigeons that we shot to extinction yeah. right it's when you start lacking concern that's when you should be the most concerned right. but, it, so, but in this case they're lacking concern to try to like they're they're robbing Paul to try to pay P- Peter right? right trying to get the salmon to come back right and God. okay so yeah they're small right now right yeah. they're small right now yeah why are they not prolific because they don't have the habitat to become prolific. Right. Open up that stretch of the Kennebec. I guarantee you they'll find a niche somewhere in there to become prolific. Yeah. So is that Flagstaff? Is that the dead? Is that the Sandy? Where is it? I don't know. Right. And nobody knows. So do you want to roll the dice and risk it for the Atlantic Salmon Biscuit? I don't know. <laughs> you know? Like, I, don't know. I, I, don't know. I wouldn't. Damn. I wouldn't. Or I would do a very thorough electroshocking event when I was sure that no Atlantic salmon were there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would do a very thorough electroshocking. Well, it makes me wonder, the lowest dam in the Kennebec right now, how many salmon are knocking on the door every year? You are they spring out? or fall spawners? Who? Salmon? Yeah, they're fall. Fall, but they yeah. come in two cohorts, basically. They come in a spring cohort, and then they come in a fall cohort. Gotcha. Um, and, yeah, so... I don't know. It's it's tough for me. It would be tough to let pike explore unchecked. How many how many salmon uh, made it to the Kennebec so far this year? Or is that this year or is this last year? No, last year. 
Okay. Since updated, this was updated November 16th, 2020. The trap was closed October 31st. So yeah. um, Atlantic Salmon, 47. Jesus Christ. That's nothing. That's nothing. That's and, nothing. But let me let me throw this point just to reinforce what you were saying earlier. Again, they, you talk about Atlantic Salmon. The pike are getting vilified again here, right? Like For if, sure. If we remove these dams, it's the pike we got to worry about. But, like, but they, they sh- are rightfully being vilified because right. – because you're will, talking about changing stuff. Right. They will become right. detrimental. Right. Um, but that doesn't go with your point of saying, hey, we under- I understand that, but Pike, where they're already established, let's yes. friggin' pump that. Let's, let's pump go. that up. Yes. Yeah. Sabatis? Yeah. You're never getting that back. Two totally different points. Doesn't even right. matter. Doesn't right. even matter. Right. The Andro from, um, you know, Gulf Island Pond, uh, Turner, Lewiston, yeah. Auburn, Durham. Those are never going to be anything no. other than warm water fisheries for smallmouth bass. Right. right. They have great habitat. Even if you remove dams. Right. Even if you remove everything. Yeah. It's great habitat for I pike. It's great habitat for uh, smallmouth bass. Yep. Pump it. Yep. Let's go. Let's manage it for trophy fish. Like, yeah. Let's manage it for trophy fish. Oh, yeah. Why not? Yeah. So now you're getting guides all day long there. You're pumping the economy a little bit. You're getting anglers from out of state. You're starting to get tourism pumped back up. I mean, like, Maine is just... Well, those we are all depressed so many, areas. so many opportunities, and we're just, like, so lackluster and taking advantage. And it's like, yeah. you know, what's... I know IFNW, the fisheries I have such issues with, and their commissioner, Judy, is fantastic. Yeah. She's so great. Right. She. But she's new. She's new. She didn't. Yep. She's she's been she didn't here for put a short amount together. of time. Right. She didn't put this all together. And I want to get her on the pod. I do too. That? She's so think fantastic. I think she would. I really do. Are we big enough, guys? I. <laughs> I hope <laughs> wow. so. She's she twenty thousand downloads. She dude. is great. It's crazy. She would listen. She would at least listen. Yeah. To this argument and have a conversation. with And her. she might bring up her points. And I know her points would probably be you know what do the main people want. I don't know. Maybe the towns don't want that. You know, right. maybe you need to ask them. I don't maybe know why. Maybe they're not even aware that they have that. I know. I don't, little I don't know. gold mine sitting underneath them. She would say, we need to protect our native fisheries. Totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. The places I'm talking about, native fisheries no longer exist. Yeah. They're never going to exist there ever again. Right. Okay. And then she would talk about, do we have the time, money, and resources to do such a thing? Yeah. And I'm not sure IFNW has the resources. I'm not sure they have these. I'm not sure they have the uh, the the resources to do what though pump, to manage to pump. So manage. You said just put up some barriers and some on some inlets and outlets, right? That yeah, for sure, and for sure, and, and set you different need to limits. Invest and then, but like not every lake, you know. I say okay, let all the big ones go. That might not always work for every water body. Yeah. Um, we have no studies in Maine right. on pike. Yeah. Because we're just saying kill them all. Yeah. You know what I mean? And our data, like when you go look at the management plan on IFNW, yeah. they have data like, oh, the average catch is this, right? The average catch is this. Right. And it's like, okay, but that's not, you're doing studies on anglers, not the fish. Right. I need you to do studies on the fish, yeah. not the angler. Yeah. And that's been IFNW's problem for so long is that they manage for the angler and not for the fish. Mm-hmm. 
They have an opportunity in Pike. You just nailed it there. That could be the uh, that could be the little blurb about our show right there. And they manage for the people, not they, for the fish. They have an opportunity with Pike to manage for both the fishermen, or sorry, the angler. What year is this plan put fish. out? Do you know the management plan? Yeah, do you remember? I have no idea. Um, but it's a readily available document. Obviously, yeah, you can go and look. Type on Google IFNW. Northern Pike Management, something like that. Yep. And they have their most up-to-date one. It's like 30 pages long. It's really not that bad. Um, so it was why, put out why do all that if you're not going to do updated, anything with it? Updated 2001. Okay. That was the last time they updated Holy this. Cow, 2001. 20 years ago. And I was in eighth grade, for God's sake. You know, do they need to update that again? Yeah, I would probably say. Yeah. So they here, like, here are their um, description of statewide management objectives, right? Uh, further illegal introductions will be vigorously discouraged. Cool. Totally agree with that. Right? Yep. I think that's great. That's, yeah. that's That should be number one. Yep. That I should, think, and I think they've promoted that. I agree. I think they have too. Number two, proposals for officially sanctioned pike introductions outside of river drainages within fishery management regions A and B in which the species now occurs will not be sanctioned by IFNW. So they are not going to put pike anywhere else. Okay. Okay, totally, like, that's fine. Even though I'm not sure I completely agree with that, I think there are bodies of water that you could put pike into. Yeah. And there's, make sure they have no outlets and inlets, Mm -hmm. and make sure that they are only suitable for smallmouth. Let me ask you this question. Right? What do you think about this? So, they stocked the Presumpscot River, right? Yep. Would that river be better as a pike fishery? (laughs) Would it be more fun? (laughs) No, I don't think that it's too no. small. It's too small. You're just it's catching those. You're just catching those mm-hmm. trout that get all their fins rubbed off them. Right. So three, where northern pike threaten significant existing fish populations, management efforts should strive to reduce pike predation, and interspecific competition. Okay, that active management plan, that management objective, is so ridiculous because where northern pike threaten significant existing fish populations. Uh, that's everywhere that's wherever they exist they threaten those populations so that objective says strive to reduce predation reduce pike predation how do you do that you kill them right so that management there tells me you have no interest in creating a fishery so they nailed a they nailed b and then c horrible they that tells me okay you've you've just shut the door on even creating a, a any type of pike fishery so there's no goal on there that says that we should maintain an already established pike fishery where number four contradictory where northern pike are actively managed they aren't (laughs) they aren't true where they're established maybe they should say management efforts should strive to enhance those catch and size qualities of interest to the anglers utilizing the fishery that contradicts their third objective because wherever the pike exists they are having a significant exist uh, a significant reduction on existing fish populations, and if you are taking that as an objective above managing them, you'll never manage them. Yep. So they what they need to do is say, take out objective number three. Yes. Take it out, and they need to just say replace it with number four. Replace it with number four. Yeah. We're gonna start managing them. Yeah. And managing means. Catch limits <laughs> would be nice. Right. Size limits. Size limits would be nice. Yep. And times you can fish for them. Yeah. That would also be nice. Yeah. Wait till after they spawn. Like, 
we don't. May, in 15th, May, May 15th or something. A, a reason why out west is so much better, you know, even Midwest is so much better, is they close fisheries down. They let the fish rest. Yeah. In Maine, we don't. 360. We do for three, brook trout in some places. Sure. And salmon. Three hundred, But, like, the majority, I know you're thinking of, like, Ranger region. Yeah. Think about the like rest West of the West Branch. Stuff like How about that? Moosehead? Anything they close September 30th, they're closing it so those fish can spawn, right? Moosehead? All year. Have at it. Sebago? All year. Have at it. Right? Those are major true, fisheries. True. The lakes, yeah. 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 All year. Have at it. East yeah. Outlet? Yeah. Have at it. It's yes. like, what are you doing? Right. Let, like, let them rest. Let them rest. They don't, they see, they, they see it as, okay, well, if we let anglers fish all year, then that's money all year. Right. And the anglers will be happy. Again, they're managing for the, for the angler, not for the fish. If you let the fish rest, you'll have better fisheries. More people will come to fish. So the dollar bills won't be spent year-round. They'll be spent in more concentrated times, but there will be more money because more people wanna, will want to uh, come fish. For sure. Right? And it's like, geez, man, how can you not see that? Yeah, it's a couple-year investment, and that's what people don't, don't want to sacrifice that one- to five-year investment for 15 years of growth. Yep. Because they either can't do it, especially now with COVID, because they can't afford to sacrifice a year to five years. Um, or they just never plan for it. I just don't think we're there yet as a society. I mean, it's 2021. I mean, West, West is. In 2021 now, we're finally getting to, you know, anti-discriminatory practices on races of people. When are we going to get there on fish? I, I agree. <laughs> Another 20 years. Probably should be sooner <laughs> rather than later. It's taking us this long with people. It scares me how long it would take I know. Fish. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's scary. So I, I just, you know, a lot of people hate pike. Out of ignorance. Yeah. Out of ignorance. They just don't know. I'm 100% one of those people. They just don't know. But man, do I want to go fish for them now. I, come on, come with me. I take yeah. a canoe. I go in the shallows, sling some meat around. Sweet. Catch 20, 30, 40 fish a day. Have a good, you know, it's nice out. Well, I told, I told you folks, I was going to, I was going to let him tee off and <laughs> bombed it down the fairway there, but <laughs> I hope, I hope people sure. enjoy that. I hope it at least, at least you don't have to agree. Like, I don't even want you to agree. I want people to at least... Just have an open mind about it, though. Think about it, yeah. yeah I want you it. to think about it. Yeah. Like, well, uh, I think a lot of people... I just learned so much from you in the last hour talking about that stuff that it's like... That's great. So many other people are going to as well. I so. do not care if anyone agrees. I just want you to at least think about it. Yeah. That's my whole purpose. That's the whole purpose of my company is, like, to get you thinking about topics that maybe you weren't thinking about. Sure. You know? And how... Boy, you're right. I just go and fish for these things. Is are they being managed the best way that they can be? Are they not being managed at all? And you know, yeah. So I I don't know. I just I like to get the wheels turning in the head. Yeah, and some of you guys who listen here, you have some great content. You know, you make really cool videos and take pictures and you spread stuff. You know, challenge you to do that stuff with smallmouth. Challenge you to do that stuff with pike a yeah. little bit and kind of help push those things in Maine a little more. Yeah, for sure. Maybe you are going to catch IFW's attention at some point. And go, oh, yeah. wow, people are actually oh, like people are into it. fishing for these and they don't want to catch 16-inch pike. They want to catch 36-inch pike. I mean, looking to just the Midwest and the amount of money that people pour into pike no, fishing. No, it's not. In Canada. In Canada. I mean, nuts. people spend $6,000 a week to go to these lodges nuts. up there. Yep, to catch pike. It's crazy. It's nuts. And Maine has that opportunity right in Belgrade to have $6,000 weeks events. Right. And they, nope, 
I'm good. Yeah. Let's just, you know what? You catch a 20-pound pike in the winter, maybe you put it back, maybe you don't. Who cares? Right. I know. It's crazy. It's like, dude, and some people like to eat them. You know, if you want to eat a pike, that's great. But guess what? The old, usually old, old fish, they don't taste that great. No. It's the younger ones who taste the best. And Maine waters, like Sabatis, is so full of chicken shit, literally. They used to dump farm chicken manure in there. Yep. They have huge algal blooms in the summer. Right. Um, and you can't really fish there in the summer, but is like, that like nitrogen rich water. Yeah, nitrogen rich. Yeah. Yeah. To eat anything out of that lake, jeez, <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> right. I can't even. So yeah. it's not like people are eating them, and if they are, they probably shouldn't. I think there's a recommendation in the law book as well. Like there's a recommendation page of how many fish you should eat. Yeah. Out of whatever. It's funny when you see that. It's all up and down the Andrew Scott. I again. think the Andro River drainage system is like Pretty much two fish a year or something like that. Right. Like it's low, you know. Yeah. So bad as I would never eat. God. I'd never eat anything, and I'd be scared to death to swim in there. I know. <laughs> I'm so scared. Dude, I saw people <laughs> catching crayfish once out of the Andro, and like take home and eat, and I was like, yeah. "Oh my god!" I'm good with that. I'm all set with that. <laughs> Little nitrogen bombs yeah. there. So, so yeah. So my um, if anyone has any question about pike, or if they want to know some spots, I'd I'd be happy to you know. Nobody else has really taken people out. Like, are there any guides in Maine for pike on the fly? I know some know guys. I know some guys who. Do it, but it's not one their main thing, and then mm-hmm. two, like that's they crazy. just kind of push it in that, May a little bit, but it's hard to get people out in May because our conditions yeah. can be kind of rough. But yeah. I mean, it's that's cr- what you got to do when it's you want crazy. To fish, it's crazy that we don't have like just a, a pike fly yeah. uh, that like it's just like oh yeah, that's the guy. Well, you know I always I, mean? I always laugh about things in Maine too, though because not laugh, but I I mean I look at um there's some uh, brothers that that fish out on the Deerfield, the Harrison brothers. Yeah, and they kind of brought, they kind of were out west and brought like the, uh, the drift, the drift style or the raft, the raft style back and and dude, they, I mean, they fish, year round on the Deerfield River, like mid through the middle of winter, mm-hmm. the the river's very well managed for what they have. It's mostly browns and rainbows. Yeah, um, but uh, I mean, they're able to fish year round. We can't sell people on coming here in May, but they're fishing in January. You know what I mean? It's like I do. that's crazy to me. There are I, I agree. There are some limiting factors in Maine compared to the Deerfield for sure. Well, they don't get the ice over. They don't get the ice get. over, and their hatches, their water's cleaner, and like yep. Maine, you know, the logging companies put a big hurting on Maine's waters yeah. when people were just sending logs down the river and yeah. driving tractors through the rivers. And so our, our waters have been hurt bad. Paper right. companies. But those just, truck, those logging trucks have been running since the fifties. And now you're in the, you're in 2020s now, yep. you know, it's and 70 years removed from running logs down rivers. Time to make some changes. It's it true. I agree. But that stuff never leaves. True. There, once you ruin a river, that that's it. Yeah. It, it never it'll never be the same. Well, it's hard. It's hard also when they have the the warming warming climate as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's tough. Like the like the Andros are a great example. I mean yeah. the the um, Andros Coggin River Land Trust. Yeah. Shout out to them. They do great work. Yeah. They basically along with a bunch of people brought the Andros Coggin River to reclassify mm-hmm. to a B to a B, and it was. A, 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 a hard F for as long as I'm yeah. concerned, you yeah. know, like sewage my, my father who grew up in Auburn told me stories of people's houses that were too close to the river. Their siding would peel off yeah. from the toxic sort of fumes that would come from the river. So yeah. So like groups like the Andrew River Land Trust have brought this river back and now 
pike are doing fantastic because right. it's cleaner water so and let's, getting big. Let's so take it, let's take it. Let's take it a step yep. further. Then let's um, go. Let's it. go. Ramp it up. Yeah. Uh, like Greg said too, check him out for his uh, your pike and musky leaders. They're yeah, check them big, out. They're great. They're fantastic. I use them all the time. They're cheap, like super cheap. Yeah. <laughs> as far as uh, pike and musky leaders go, like half the price what you normally would pay. Cool. I make them in my fly tying room. Nice. You know, so they're made right here in Maine. Made in Maine. Awesome. You know, support local. I like that. So yeah, it's great. I um, I will plug a something for myself if you don't mind. Yeah, go for it. Fantastic. So we have um a few things coming up. We just um unleashed some hats, and we have some new T-shirts coming, and we are doing a giveaway in April. So for those of you we're looking for you know all of our stuff is designed for the angler so like the shade of the brim on our hats is a particular shade to um, help you best keep the sun out of your eyes right and we have one of the hats is an spf 30 to you know it's a good summertime hat to protect your Head from harmful rays. Same thing. We have I some. I could use that, man. Yeah. Right. You know, someone with you know lacking hair. Lacking hair. You know. Yeah. So you know, basically everything that I design, everything that I buy and test, like it's all for the angler, and we're all trying to we're trying to do it as cheap as possible for you. Because I remember when I was eighteen years old, going L.O. Bean, looking at two, you know, nine foot leaders for seventeen dollars, and being like. This is ridiculous. That's crazy. I can't afford this, right. you know? Right. So that's why we offer, like, we have five liters for 10 bucks, you yep. know, three floral ones for nine bucks. The tippet, I gave Aaron some tippet tonight. Instead of the typical 30 meters, we have 50 meters of tippet. So ours is the and same. It's cheaper. It's, you know, it's the same price, if not cheaper. Yep. And you're getting 66% more tippet. So, I, you know, I just, if you're looking for stuff or if you know somebody who's, you know, an expert it. getting into it. Yeah. You know, any anyone. Our I'm going to use is, this stuff, man. I want to try it out. I'm going to put my Rio stuff to the side for a little bit and give this a go. And try it out. Try it out. Excited. What can you Excited. lose when you're, you know, you basically are paying five bucks for enough tippet for an entire season. Yeah. You know, how yeah. can you go wrong with that? So we have a bunch of stuff coming up, but the giveaway, super great. I really want a lot of people. We have some big companies coming in and uh, are going to pitch in for that. So that'll be... Um, That'll be great, and I want you all to uh, to get in on that. You can follow us on Instagram at MainFlyGuys to get in on that. And then my final pitch is July 10th, mm. the Summer Showcase with Main Fly Co. We are teaming up to put on a sort of three-part showcase where we are going to, one, have a uh, stripe tournament, two, have an expo where we're going to have a bunch of vendors and organizations at Thomas Point Beach in Brunswick, uh, you can swing by between ten and four. Um, there's just going to be, you know, sort of like the main sportsman or the Marlboro shows where they just have a booth. It's going to be outside, so we're trying to keep everything spaced and even, and everyone in a safe environment there. And then there will be an after party at Trinken Brewery, um, a local brewery where every uh, pour. At Trinken Brewery, $1 is going to be donated to Project Healing Waters. Cool. And the whole event is nonprofit. You know, we're not taking, we're not looking to get any money out of this. We. Is it all going on Healing Waters? Yeah, it's all going to Project Healing Waters. Um, 
you know, we have talked with a bunch of people from that organization. I have an ongoing donation campaign with them. If you buy one of our Brook Trout stickers, uh, $1 of that goes to Project Healing Waters. So, you know, we like the people there. We like what they do. I think everyone likes what they do, you know, yeah. helping wounded vets, helping veterans get on the water. Get on the water. Yeah. So, and so, you know, we just, we want to give back to them because they give so much to so many people. So, um, so yeah, so join the event. If you know somebody who wants to be an exhibitor, we're always looking for exhibitors. Um, but more information can be found on our uh, Eventbrite page. If you go to mainflyguys.com, there's a event tab and pretty much all the information you could uh, ask for is right there. So that's all I wanted to plug. Cool, buddy. No big deal. Just a few things there. No, we'll uh, appreciate we'll, it. We'll push it on on the Main Fly Fishing Podcast's Instagram page too. Nice. So appreciate it. Um, yeah, all good things. Well, thanks for talking, Pike. Thanks. Try not to uh, delete this one. I'm gonna try my best. <laughs> um, God help me. I hope this computer works. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna most likely either be talking about stripers if we. Can get James back on board next. Yeah. Or I think the other fish was muskie. Muskellunge. Yeah, muskellunge. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so that'll be our next one. Awesome. Um, Let's do it. I look forward to it. Yeah, we're going to try to crank these out before fishing season gets going because we, yep. get, we get kind of busy when fishing season comes. So. Yep. The podcast might slow down a touch. Yep. And when... I'm also going to try to start getting folks back on who are in the industry, yep. which was my kind of my original goal. Original. But this has yep. been a great little... Uh, yeah, a little mini-series here. Mini-series here. We've been battling through covid with it yep, right for sure and for sure it's been awesome so i know um, i know we gotta get john on from hmh for sure yeah he's, he's and coming. also uh nate from nw flyco uh he did he won a bet he tied a dry fly and <laughs> his first dry fly he's tied in 22 years believe it or not and he uh Insane. He said if I tied it if he tied a dry fly, then he could come back on the podcast yep. and we'd sit down with him. So I am also looking forward yep. to that for He sure. wants to come on and talk all things fly tying, which I think would be All things fly tying would be awesome for people to hear. Just um, I'm tips, in. tricks, I'd like to listen. Materials, <clears throat> yep. whatever. So. I'd like to listen. I'm sure he's got something that every literally everyone could could take from Absolutely. you know for sure yeah this is a guy who ties 30 plus flies a day yeah right so mostly there. how does he keep his sanity i think is I that's what i want to know where's your how's your sanity at <laughs> how's your fingers how about your know. eyes you know like your eyes my eyes oh after a long time you know hour or two like, my bat my back would be the one that's you need a pillow stuff, so you got a pillow yes i have a pillow you need a little pillow you know what i mean back support all right you do that no. You sit I, on it. I mean, I'm a pretty ergonomic chair here. No, but. guy. You need to pe- get a pillow back there. Okay. Get a little pillow back there. Right. A little lumbar support, see, you know. See, we're already, there you go. We're already in tips here. <laughs> so. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to uh, <clears throat> another episode of the uh, Main Fly Fishing Podcast. We'll see you next time. <laughs>